In a world of what are yous, welcome to the place where the answer is always human. My name is Natalie and you're listening to Some Kind of Brown, a podcast about mixed and multiracial life, current events, and ways to build the best life by a southern girl who's trying to figure it out for herself. Here we are, look at us, we have a new series. And it's going to be a little heavy because there have been some things happening in the world that we just need to talk about. There have been times in the past while I've had this podcast where something happens in the U.S. or somewhere in the world that deserves more than just a post on social media and affects all of us as a community. What I want to do with this series is take these current events and talk about the impact they've had and how much they've affected us. This episode will be no exception, but after this, Beyond the News will be available for the first week of the month for all tiers of support on Patreon. After the first week, I'll be releasing the episode for everyone else, and it will be available as a normal episode. To give an example of how it will work, the Beyond the News episode for September will be available on Patreon the first Friday in October. And then the second week of October, for all of you lovely listeners, it will be available. That also means that there will be a little bit of a gap between this first episode and the next in the series unless more things happen in August that require another Beyond the News episode. I'm making this one now because the last week or so has been so incredibly heartbreaking, full of just insanity, and I don't want to wait to respond. I will be including timestamps in the show notes if there are specific sections you'd like to listen to or avoid. I want to start this episode on as positive a note as I can, so our first segment is going to be a celebration of life for Toni Morrison. To be honest, we would be here for a long, long time if I tried to tell you how instrumental this woman was as an advocate for black people and how much of an impact she had. Friends of mine who are black and even outside of this racial group and community all have stories of how she impacted their lives and how universal what she wrote was as far as the human experience. I'm going to do my best to honor her with these highlights I'm going to cover. If you want to know more about her, I will have links for you in the show notes. She was born in Ohio on February 18, 1931, and was the very first African-American woman to win the Nobel Peace Prize for literature in 1993, and even received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2012. As I was only one and a half at the time she won her Nobel Peace Prize, I was very late to the game in knowing who she was and finding her works. Even beyond that, it wasn't until I was an adult. I wish I had discovered her earlier because I've seen so many people who read some of her children's books and grew with her works and they had a profound effect on their lives. In any case, she's left quite the legacy behind and her writings are evergreen. So if you haven't had the chance to read any of her books, I encourage you to take the chance. She focused mostly on the black experience, and in particular the experience of black women. What I love about her is that she did not hold back when it came to the struggles black women and men have faced, and in her writings, there's so much that makes up African American history and culture as it's come to be and evolved. 
Instead of flinching away from the atrocities that have been suffered, she was courageous and stared them boldly in the face and presented them to the world through an unflinching and harrowing presentation of the darkest parts of life. She also wove into these stories of darkness the strength of the people who lived and fought and did everything they could to thrive in a world where everything seems to be set against you from the very start. In her book Beloved, she wrote, Anybody white can take away your whole self for anything that came to mind. Not just work, kill, or maim you, but dirty you. Dirty you so bad you can't like yourself anymore. Dirty yourself so bad that you forget who you were and couldn't think it up. Words like these were like a mirror for so many people. And I can tell you personally, as a black woman, as a woman who is mixed with black, just that little bit resonates within me so much. Because for a long time growing up, I saw myself through the lens of other people and their opinions. And I, as an adult, had to unpack and learn to accept my blackness and celebrate it. Miss Morrison expressed feelings that so many had in their hearts, including myself, but didn't know or have the words to express. This queen moved on at the age of 88, but she left a vast legacy. She left for us 11 novels, 9 nonfiction books, five works of children's literature, short stories, and a collection of essays, speeches, and meditations. I haven't read the entirety of her work, but I am determined to read as much as I can. The Toni Morrison Society was formed in 1993 and has worked to help train teachers and schools on how to approach these subjects and integrate her works into the curriculum for their historical and literary value. The Society has expanded over the years and I'm sure that they will continue after her death to keep her legacy alive. I'm glad that there's someone that will be protecting her memory and making sure that her writings and her life stay relevant. I know that her life and writing has helped so many women of color, especially black women, embrace themselves, acknowledge their own strength, and become stronger, and I know that her words will impact many more lives for years to come. Okay, there is nothing else to do but jump in to the heavier things. If you listened to episode 33 covering part 2 of When They See Us, you may remember me talking about how the episode was relevant for two reasons. One, because the fear-mongering in the media, and two, because of the involvement of Donald Trump inciting violence. The shooting in El Paso was the one that I specifically was referencing. In talking about this shooting, I will not be saying the shooter's name because I don't want to give him any more attention. However, I will be discussing certain things in his life and posts that were relevant to his motive. On August 3rd, the shooter specifically went to El Paso, Texas because of the large Latinx population and opened fire in a Walmart. The motive? Thankfully, he made this abundantly clear in a four-page long manifesto chock full of racism and anti-immigrant rhetoric. I've said this before, but none of us live in a vacuum and these ideologies and fears that the shooter had did not pop up out of nowhere. The document he posted on 8chan is entitled The Inconvenient Truth. And while I'm giving you this information, it is most definitely not to encourage you to search it out. I read it, and I don't recommend reading it unless you want to either angry cry or permanently damage your blood pressure. 
I just wanted to get down past the rumors and see what this man really believed in. I've read it, so now you don't have to. First of all, I want to be very, very clear that the shooter did not specifically reference Trump in his manifesto, but mainly cites another racist manifesto as his main inspiration. I'll give you a very, very brief two-sentence summary of the manifesto because it's not what I want to focus on. In essence, he blames the Hispanic community, almost talking about them as if they were some invasive species of animal, and says that if America is going to be preserved as the country it is now, the quote-unquote threat of a Hispanic takeover must be taken seriously. He is merely defending his country from quote-unquote ethnic replacement from the true, and he does call them, instigators, the Hispanics. And while he blames both parties, he takes the time specifically to call out the right, the Republican Party, for failing to protect the country and betraying America, despite acknowledging the, quote, increasingly anti-immigrant rhetoric of the right, end quote. And that is the crux of the problem. Again, while not specifically naming Trump, we were all aware of Trump's frequent demonization of Latinx people. As far as the shooter goes, there was activity on his social media that directly supported Trump, including a graphic of Trump spelled out in guns and using the hashtag #buildthewall. The connection between Trump and the shooting is undeniable, and somehow he hasn't been held accountable. Trump has increased the racial tensions to a fever pitch while taking absolutely no responsibility for his words, and what are we left with? Fear. We have fear that our lives are at risk on both sides. However, only one side is actually suffering. I'm not part of the Latinx community, but that does not mean I'm unaware of the fear that they have experienced and the very real threats to their existence. We have a whole community of people, legal and illegally here, under serious threat of bodily harm, whether from ICE open discrimination, concentration camp-level institutions, and now vigilante shooters. No one deserves to be scared just because of where they come from or the color of their skin. I don't know a lot about guns, but my brother and some of my friends are in the military. From what I've been told, almost every single gun is semi-automatic, so passing a ban on semi-automatic weapons in the U.S., would be extremely difficult, especially after the radicalization of certain groups that hold the Second Amendment close to their hearts. Instead, it might be more useful to attempt to have conversations about requiring more background checks, psychological testing, and maybe a limit on clip or magazine size. I say that, and I wish I could say that there are people in politics who are having these discussions, but those of us who are afraid of the rising instances of gun violence are being gaslighted completely. And when we're not being gaslighted, motions for common sense gun laws are flat out being blocked. What we can do, I think, is to educate ourselves so that we can create petitions or write to our representatives, our senators, to help encourage helpful conversations around gun violence that might bring change. Outside of politics, I think it's incredibly important to be supportive allies for our Latinx brothers and sisters. The stress and fear and pain is just so much. And on an individual level, I think we really need to love our friends, be a shoulder to lean on for support, help them carry this burden, and make sure they are getting self-care, whether it's hanging out with them 
or just checking in and making sure they're okay mentally because I cannot imagine how much stress the things that are happening in this country and the rhetoric coming from our president and other people in power is on just everyday people. And I don't want to forget that at the end of the day, we're talking about people. Being seen and feeling heard is important. And while I didn't say the name of the shooter, I do want to say the names of those who lost their lives to honor them and to make sure they are acknowledged. If this is going to be upsetting to you, please don't hesitate to skip. Check in the show notes to see when the next segment starts. The victims in the El Paso, Texas shooting were married couple Jordan and Andre Anchoto, 25 and 24 respectively, Arturo Benavides, age 60, Jorge Cavillo Garcia, 61, married couple Leo Campos and Maribel Hernandez, 41 and 56, respectively. Married couple Adolfo Cerdo Hernandez and Sarah Esther Regelado, 68 and 66, respectively. Angelina Englisby, 86. And married couple Raul and Maria Flores, 83 and 77, respectively. The shooting in Dayton, Ohio on August 4th is a little different. Instead of the shooter on the far right, we have someone who is known to be an armed counter-protester against far right and white supremacist groups. Ironically, six out of nine of his victims were black. Because this shooting was not race-related and there was no manifesto left behind, it makes it so much harder to find a motive behind the shooting. Instead, we're left with unconfirmed rumors. I went deep, deep down the hole of articles, and there's a lot of hearsay and not enough evidence. Unfortunately for the families affected, there aren't a lot of answers. We know that there are stark differences in the media when covering violence perpetuated by people of color versus white men. The conversation about white mass shooters always turns to mental health. But because I do support psychological health evaluations before someone is allowed to purchase a gun, I will say that the shooter's ex reported in an article that he did have mental health issues. Whether these were professionally diagnosed and being treated with medicine, I have no idea. What we do know for a fact is that he was part of a band with a very unsavory name to say the least, and whose lyrics were reported as often violent towards women. Not only that, but he appears to have a history of violence towards women as well. There has even been speculation that the shooter was part of, or inspired by, other acts of violence committed by incels. If you're unfamiliar with that term, it means involuntary celibate. And that term itself and the community has a rather turbulent history. We don't know for sure if this is the case, but I believe that we should always strive to educate ourselves on these issues so that we can get closer to understanding the mentality of those with such violent thoughts about women and what it can lead to. I'm going to play a promo now for a new podcast that is a year in the making and takes a deep dive into the history and what's really going on in the incel community. When we come back, I'll wrap up this segment. On June 7, 2019, the Washington Post published an opinion piece by columnist Christine Emba entitled, Men Are in Trouble, Incels Are Proof. Emba's piece is not the first on this topic. 
but it is the most compassionate. The response on Twitter was dismissive at best and contemptuous at worst. To me, it was just more of the same. For the past year, I've been immersing myself in their dark, strange, and lonely world, a world created entirely online, on platforms like Reddit, and forums like incels.co and lookism.net. In some ways, these communities are like any other you'd find flourishing on the web, where the veil of anonymity creates a sense of safety, where users can share their struggles, their secrets, their most wicked thoughts, free from public scorn, like a confessional booth or some kind of support group. But over the past few years, this subculture has taken on a life of its own. In their quest to understand the cause of their pain, their isolation, and their emptiness, some of the most troubled members of our society have taken to these forms with an almost religious fervor. Tragically, several converts to the deeply cynical incel philosophy known as the Black Pill have gone on to commit acts of domestic terrorism. Spree killings, more than one or two each year since 2014, have been enacted by young men who identify as incel, who were, let's just say it, radicalized. Elliot Roger left a manifesto before killing six people and then himself on a college campus in Isla Vista, California. He is known as St. Elliot in certain black-pilled communities. We'll get to him. It's hard not to draw comparisons, then, to Omar Mateen, who killed 49 people in an Orlando nightclub before being killed in a shootout. Or to Dylan Roof, who shot nine people in a church in Charleston, South Carolina. It's hard not to draw comparisons to the other radical ideologies of our days, to the jihadi movements like ISIL or the white supremacists that motivated people like Mateen and Roof. Those groups, too, tend to organize, recruit, and proselytize online. Those groups, too, are seductive to lonely or disenfranchised young men, seeking purpose and acceptance and something like God. But those movements explicitly preach hatred. By promising a path toward redemption, they incite acts of violence. Incels don't. And yet, it has happened. So, the tech platforms took action. R slash incels was banned, and its offshoots are quarantined. Websites like incels.me were taken down, and Google search engineers actively worked to delist their wiki entries, removing them from search results. Now, deplatformed, disconnected, and relegated to the darkest corners of the deep web, incels are at odds with the outside world. The group has grown more exclusionary, more insular, and more desperate. Like so many of us in various aspects of our online lives, incels are living in an echo chamber. But on October 5th of 2018, I received a random DM on Twitter from one of them. Something unrelated, something about politics. We started talking, and it led me down the rabbit hole right into the heart of the richly textured, verbally brilliant, inventively hilarious, shockingly offensive, and profoundly heartbreaking world of the incel. Hello? Yes, hello? Yes, I'm still here. 
Okay, good. <laughs> Sounds like you're in transit somewhere. Uh, sort of. I'm, I'm walking. Um, I can not talk and walk. Okay, good. <laughs> Well, um, it was shortly after the uh, Toronto tragedy. I was on uh, the Forever Alone subreddit, and um, the the issue was they were looking at what he did and saying, well, there's no excuse for what he did. And it's not good, but they look at what they themselves do to the people around them, and, and they say, well, I have no choice. I'm mentally ill. What if Alec Manassian can't help it? It's not good, but we understand that while these things aren't good, what we have to do is rehabilitate these people. But they said, Alec Manassian is not like me. Even if he is mentally ill, I don't care. So I said, I, I, I this doesn't sit right with me. But what I need to do is reach out to the people who are making the articles and are on the TV shows and so on, because I want to contribute. And I figured the only way I'm going to be able to contribute on the behalf of Incel is to make it official and join their club. Because I, before I even knew what the word Incel was, I was an Incel. I didn't necessarily believe in the whole ideology. I am intel enough that I belong there. And I'm willing to join if it means I can advocate for these people that aren't being voted for. Hmm. Well. From Crawlspace Media, I'm Nama Cates, and this is Incel. Again, I won't be saying the name of the shooter, but he is among the count of victims as well as his sister, who was innocent as far as the shooting goes. There were 10 total victims. Just like in the last segment, I am going to say the name of the victims. You can again skip ahead to the next segment if this is going to bother you. Those who lost their lives were Megan Betts, 22, Luis Oglesby, 27, Zaid Sela, 38, Derek Fudge, 57, Logan Turner, 30, Nicholas Coomer, 25, Thomas McNichols, 25, Beatrice Warren Curtis, 36, and Monica Brickhouse, 39. And now it's time to look on a more global level. This next segment is going to be a bit touchy, but for completely different reasons. Over the last month or so, there has been ever-increasing tensions between Japan and South Korea. To say the two countries have a history is a vast understatement. Boiled down, the situation started as a trade dispute. About a month ago, Japan placed restrictions on important goods exported to South Korea on suspicion that South Korea was using some of those goods to support North Korea. 
Ever since then, the terms trade dispute and trade war have been thrown around, and my friend in Japan says that they would never call it a trade war, and says that at the citizen level, taxes have increased, and the news seems to blame the situation on Japanese children being kidnapped by North Korea in the past. Overall, in day-to-day -day life, everything is relatively calm. The situation in South Korea has been very different, with open protests from the citizens for a variety of reasons. One of the chief reasons among them is Japan's continued refusal to acknowledge the comfort woman. What started with trade got personal very, very quickly. Earlier this year in February, we lost a very vocal and important woman who was an advocate for herself and for other comfort women, and her name was Kim Bok-dong. Her funeral was widely observed and she left an enormous legacy that has and still is touching many. She is somewhat of a hero in South Korea for those who know the history of the comfort women. So it's fair to say that the memory and situations of these women is still fresh in the people's minds. The protests in South Korea and the trade disputes have even touched the US. There is a statue honoring the comfort women in Glendale, California, which I think is part of LA? Yes? No? Maybe? I'm really sorry, California. I love you. This statue has been vandalized several times since the trade war began, and it's only now, literally within the last 10 or so hours, looks like it might calm down. For Japanese and Korean Americans, the situation is difficult. Already, their ties to their culture and their ethnicities is complicated for a lot of people, and the situation itself is difficult. This is something to watch and maybe use as a chance to open conversations for the purpose of healing. I might be naive, but there's a chance for healing between these two countries, and I hope that's the direction that they take in these next few weeks. In this last segment, we're going to be talking about Kashmir. For those of you who don't know, Kashmir is a country north of India and Pakistan, and it's an area of high contention, as it's an area both India and Pakistan have disputed over in the past, and it has now led to a complete blackout in Kashmir in an effort to avoid violence. This means that there was no TV internet news at all coming in or out of Kashmir starting Sunday and Monday and continues into today. By today, I mean Thursday, August 8th, when I'm recording this. Internet shutdowns are nothing new to Kashmir, but nothing this severe has ever happened. From what I've read, and will link in the show notes again, Kashmir and its people are stuck between India and Pakistan. They're very much so being lost in the dialogue and at severe risk. Malala Yousafzai has even tweeted saying, there is no reason for us to continue to suffer and hurt each other. Today, I am worried about Kashmiri children and women, the most vulnerable to violence, and the most likely to suffer losses and conflict. As helpless as some of us might feel in this situation, there are some small things that we can do that might affect change. I'll be linking a post from Mixed Indian Feminist, an Instagram page that has some suggestions that you can check out. Again, I'm not in the community, but I have friends who are, and you don't need to be in order to have empathy for people. This podcast is about being mixed and multiracial, of course, but it's also about the world that affects us. 
I might not be mixed with these particular ethnicities, but that doesn't mean that some of you who are listening aren't. Actually, I know for a fact that I have listeners in Japan, South Korea, and India. This podcast does not exist in a bubble. Have mercy, I feel like Philip DeFranco light version. Less news and a whole lot of opinions. If you like this new monthly segment, let me know if you want to hear more or if you have suggestions to change it up. I am always open to suggestions. I do have only a couple of updates here at the end. Starting now, through my link tree that's in the bio of both my Twitter and Facebook, there will be signups for a Some Kind of Brown weekly newsletter. I know that sometimes it's hard to access the show notes, and I do usually have a lot of information in them. The newsletter will come out on Wednesday with the regular Wednesday episodes, and will have the show notes and updates in one place so you won't miss a thing. The sign-up is easy, and I guarantee the emails will be short and sweet. Again, you can find the sign-up for the email list in the bios of both my Twitter and Instagram. I will be posting it on the podcast Facebook page and also in the show notes that some of you can't see. I hope to see you there, and that's where I'm going to leave this episode. Remember that the next Beyond the News episode will be available a week early to patrons. Thank you to Purple Planet for the use of your songs Meltwater and Love Life, and I will see you next week with some more Shades of Brown.